and welcome everybody to another episode of the Mind Sculptors podcast. I am your host Callahan and we do have a great show lined up for you all today. Thank you for joining us. Uh, and today for this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, an interesting topic, uh, something that I don't know that we've talked a whole lot about on this channel before, uh, but I'm pretty excited to talk about it. But before we get into that, I uh, just want to remind you that if you do enjoy this episode or any of the other episodes we do here, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, please make sure to like, subscribe and comment down below if you are listening on an audio format, please make sure to leave us a, a review of some sort. Helps out. Helps us, helps us out in that regard. If you want access to our Discord server as well as some extra early content, make sure to head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash the Mind Sculptors or check out the link in the description. Today, my co-hosts are my good friend Pongo. How are you doing today, Pongo? I'm doing well. Glad to be here. It's been a little while. Yeah, it's been a few episodes. And uh, also joining us, uh, hasn't been on in a handful episodes, is my uh, okay friend, Splitface. One day you're going to slip up and you're going to call me your good friend and you won't be able my to take good it friend. back. Sp- in, in, Morgan Spleen, in, in Morgan Spleenface, in Morgan's defense... People in the comments have been asking for more of him. They have been asking for more, more of that spleen face fella. Um, so, um, well, I decided to take a break from playing Dragon Age to record this episode with you guys. Um, and we and appreciate we are- it. <laughs> I've been saying Callahan would rather be fishing. It's just, yeah, I, I, I have origin on my laptop pulled up right now. Um, and we're recording here on Friday and I downloaded Dragon Age Origins on Tuesday and I have 30 hours of playtime logged since Tuesday. So um, that has been what has been consuming a lot of my time Sounds this past healthy. week. It has been fun, but. So we're going to be talking a little bit today. If you see the uh, the title of the episode is we're going to be talking about resilience in CEDH. And uh, this was an interesting topic that Morgan uh, really wanted to be you know, discussing. And so Morgan, when we're talking about resilience in CEDH, as I yanked my headphones out of my head, um, really, what are we talking about here? So uh, I think resilience is, is a word that, that, gets thrown around a lot um, and definitely means different things to different people and means different things in different uh, contexts. So sort of generally resilience is the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties or avoid potential challenges. And that's like pretty unspecific and not even necessarily only applicable to CEDH. Um, But when we get to, you know, magic, that starts to mean Maybe something a little bit more concrete. Um, so, you know, there are decks that are referred to as glass cannons. Um, and th- there are also those strategies in a lot of other uh, games and, and things like that. Um, and people generally understand that, you know, that means you can build a strategy that's very powerful, but falls apart pretty easily when, you know, something unfavorable happens. and 
that is more or less the opposite of resilience. Um, and there are a few different ways that that can manifest in CEDH uh, that we'll sort of get into, but those have to do with sort of uh, primarily your uh, deck's win cons, uh, how you know accessible and um, you know easy to protect they are, how bad it is when you get disrupted when you're going for them, uh, and just how easy it is to throw your deck off of its game plan. Uh, and then we'll sort of talk a little bit about maybe what some of the things that you're often trading off for resilience are, um, because, you know, you can't, if you try and build a CDH deck only maximizing one thing, uh, then you're probably going to have a bad time. <laughs> So I guess uh, uh, I don't know. Cody, Cody players have been doing all right so far. I mean, I think actually Cody will come up at a few points in this episode uh, <laughs> and people might people who haven't actually played a lot against Cody might actually be surprised at uh, how not all in that deck is in certain ways. Um, yeah. Or how not like how not glass, yeah, how not glass is, right? Is. Yeah. It is definitely not the Charbelcher of our format. No, no, it's uh, really not. Um, so I guess maybe we can focus in on the the most concrete thing, as you can talk about resilience in the context of a single win con. Um, so what this means when you're talking about a single win con is, is a few different things. First, it's uh, how difficult is it to interrupt? So... You know, obviously the poster child of CDH right now is uh, Thassa's Oracle and Demonic Consultation or Tainted Pact, which is a very difficult combo to interrupt um, in that you more or less can't do anything if you're letting the spells resolve. You kind of have to stop one of them from resolving other than like very, very narrow answers after the fact, you know, like people have played things like Endurance or... Uh, right. You know, there, there's a couple Cephalid Coliseum sometimes. Yeah, Cephalid Coliseum, but I mean, Force Draw. Yeah. yeah. Force for Draw. You know, we could probably count on our two hands, like the, the number, number of like actually playable versions exists. of these, of yeah. these effects. Uh, or like even well, approaching playable. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, and probably there's a good few that could theoretically stop you, but like. You're never going to see they're, them. They're not going to see. Yeah, they're not going to see. Play. Um, yeah, so so there's there's uh, the difficulty to interrupt. Then there's the difficulty to proactively prevent, um, which is where you're looking at like what sort of stacks gets in the way. Um, are there board requirements uh, for you to execute this combo, and can your opponents work to deny you those board requirements? Um, like for example, a combo that requires that you be able to, you know, attack with something relatively fragile and not have it die might uh, be something of an issue. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously the more different stacks pieces your combo uh, can be stopped by, then the more likely it is that you're going to run into problems on that aspect. Um, and then on the sort of more, uh, on, on the less obvious fronts, um, there's sort of the commitment required to a combo. So 
you know, this ranges from the most extreme example would probably have to be a world gorger dragon combos where um, when they get interrupted, you exile all your permanence, uh, which <laughs> exile uses you from the game, which yeah, generally <laughs> is very, very difficult to come back from um, on a slightly less extreme note. You might have things like uh, Bomberman or breach with lion's eye diamond where you're you are discarding your hand. Um, but obviously, which, you know, is not great, but it's a little bit more recoverable than exiling your board generally. Um, <laughs> you know, like there. Yeah. Like Wither Smog, yeah, right? Wither like, there's Smog a pretty big well. reason why that's not yeah. yet banned as <laughs> despite Callahan insisting that it, it will be. Um, yeah. And I mean, I think that's uh, that's a great, you know, the a lot of people compared uh, Wither Smog to uh, like Tainted Pact and Thoracle when it came out and the mana requirements. I mean, obviously it's one more than consult, but it's the same as Tainted Pact, more or less. Tainted Pact, yeah. Um, If anything, it... it, And you can split it up. You can split it up, so you can even do it through rule of law. But the fact that it can be interrupted by removal and the fact that you discard your hand when it doesn't work um, is, you know, something that I think, you know, that, that combo sees play, but it's not even ubiquitous in green, black decks without blue like like you know oracle is in basically every blue black deck mm-hmm. and like even green black decks that can't play oracle don't necessarily play play wither chain like some of them do but a lot of them don't um but does blue like even make that combo that much well, no, yeah, I, I think, think the point playing, is like if you're playing a sultai deck then you might as well just play thoracle right like, uh, but uh, like oh, I think, sure. like okay, I think, I like the only yeah. ones that feel Without safe blue. enough yeah. to play it, um, not to go too far off on a tangent here, would be like Abzan decks that have white right. to protect it, right? Yeah, with the silences and the ranger captains and the yeah. abolishers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Those are certainly better places for it. And then, and then uh, the last two things on a single win con are: can it be like where do the pieces have to be? Are the requirements on that very specific? So. Um, you know, if we look back to sort of the Flash Hulk era where it could, there were some pieces that drawing them was extremely awkward and there were some pieces that drawing them was kind of fine. Um, and like you generally had to play some cards to make drawing pieces okay. Um, and, you know, there are some combos like uh, a combo like Breach, for example. If you're saying like Breach, LED and either a tutor or a wheel or brain freeze or whatever is a combo. You only need one of like, you need the breach in your hand and then you cast it and then you need it on the battlefield. But like the tutors and the LEDs and the, the the mana and the card draw and like all of that can kind of be anywhere, right? Like you can just sort of accumulate those cards. You spend them, you do stuff with them throughout the course of the game. Like you play a Lotus pedal, you use it to accelerate out a card. And then you play a demonic tutor to find something and then like, oh, you just have the setup for a breach combo. Um, You don't need like these three cards in hand. Um, And the last sort of the last sort of point on this is how difficult is a a second attempt? Uh, So some combos, uh, 
for example, like Thassa's Oracle and Demonic Consultation, first of all, you have the second version of Demonic Consultation in Tainted Pact. And then generally the way that combos interacted with is your uh, your instant gets countered. So you just have to find the other one and then you can just try and get the Thassa's Oracle from play back to your hand and you're set up to try again uh, versus a combo like, uh, you know, maybe a combo like, well, Dramatic Scepters is one where like you exile the Dramatic Reversal and you can't get it back unless you're playing a very specific Exactly effect. Rift Sweeper. Yeah, exactly Rift Sweeper. Um, a deck that's, you know, maybe somewhere in the middle of those would be something like uh, Food Chain, where like if you can get the Caster Exile creature to exile and like you cast Food Chain, it gets countered or destroyed. It's not that hard to just get the Food Chain back and try again. And generally you get interrupted before you've committed anything super important. Um, like people won't, you know, let you get to the point where you're casting the caster exile creature and over and over and over again, they'll, you know, respond pretty early on generally. Um, yeah. Food chain's interesting, right? Because like there are cast from exile creatures that are more resilient than others. Right. Like, and, and you can actually use this, I think as a pretty good, like, microcosm of this whole you know story we're trying to tell here right if, if we look at like squee compared to uh eternal scourge um like it's quite clear that squee is the more resilient of the two because of you know the, the point that you made prior to this one which is like if it's in an unorthodox place, like you have more access squeak to squeak. Squeak can be literally right? anywhere and you can cast squeak. <laughs> yeah, it can be in the graveyard, it can be in your hand, or it can be in exile. Whereas if Eternal Scourge goes into the graveyard, well, then, you know, you're theoretically having to recur both Food Chain and Eternal Scourge, or else, like, you know, you run into that issue where it's it's tough to get your Eternal Scourge back or something like that. Um so so yeah like pretty pretty funny how we can like talk about that combo like in terms of like its resiliency in general but then also its resiliency with like specific subcomponents of the combo yeah and and also there's there's also the other types of food chain decks um like prosh and to a lesser extent nadir where the commander rather than being an outlet for the infinite mana is the source of the infinite mana. Um, and then generally again, you're getting interrupted before you've committed your outlet. So, um, like people won't let you make infinite tokens with prosh and then counter your, uh, impact tremors. If they could just counter the food chain, um yeah absolutely and this is this was also interesting though because this leads into not to get too far ahead of ourselves but i mean it's it's interesting because we talk about food chain and like it right now we're kind of making like a good sales pitch for like playing food chain right like you know people can't you know do this blah 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 you're pretty easy to set up like it sounds good and all but then you, you there's also the piece that we'll be talking about which is like how vulnerable are you to stacks where like food chain right. can't win through like rule of laws or certain like uh Dranith magistrates and things like that where um you know like I 
I wouldn't be doing my due diligence if I didn't while we're we're talking so tremendously positive about food chain. Also, just hop in and be like, eh, just a reminder, food well, chain still isn't good. Um, well, I, so it, it boils down to the fact that uh, this conversation and this concept of resiliency in CDH is multifactorial. Right. right? Um, and obviously you do need to. It, it's important to lay out that fact as you're doing now, but. You know, we will get to yeah. these things. Yeah, I could see Morgan's eyes light up with fire when I said food chain was bad. <laughs> no, no. See, see, the funny thing is, is that the food chain combo is good. It's just that the food chain commanders are bad. Like, like, yeah, the issue is the food chain combo isn't good enough to justify not playing a commander is like the problem with with food chain. Um, and like, if there was a food chain commander if there was a food chain, if there was something that could partner with Thrasios, there's like a red black partner that was a food chain outlet. Like that deck would be fantastic. <laughs> like that, that would be a very, very strong deck. Um, turns out that Thrasios turns a lot of stuff into good stuff. Or, or like if you could, I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe if there was like something you could partner with Timna, uh, like if there was like a red green one, then like that could also be a, a pretty strong. I mean, deck. you've done Thrasios and Adir though. Yeah. Right? So like, so that's like that Fujin deck works a little bit differently. Um as does Prosh, where you don't have the power of the quote unquote one card combo with demonic consultation and tainted pact, where you use it to find the food chain and then you also hopefully hit your caster exile creature and then you just win uh, mm-hmm. so you need it's much more of a two card combo where like you are trying to play cards that are as incidental as possible as your uh as your second card um so like in that deck fruit goes infinite with nadir and then like since you have thrasios Something as simple as like a Gaia's Cradle could be your outlet, right? You make infinite tokens and then you tap Gaia's Cradle for infinite and you dr- draw your deck with Thrasios. Um, right. Yeah. You still have to find another thing. But you still have to, to find the equivalent like- of your Gaia's Cradle or, you know, Court of Calling can work or, you know, um, like one of the something that lets you tap creatures for mana. Um, you know, there's a bunch of different things that work there, but there's no way to find them both off one card. Instead, you just have a lot of playable cards that serve as that second outlet and hope to draw one incidentally. Um, right. There's also uh, just the fact that like your standard food chain deck that kind of has to do the AB combo, you know, almost certainly you want to be in red. Like if, if you could choose to, to be, in any other color, like on top of black and green. Um, like just because like Dockside is so powerful is like, you know, classic example layering with Underworld Breach, like classic example, whatever. Um, but, you know, sort of the most important thing is that density of those cast from XL creatures, right? Uh, and Squee is better than Mist Hollow Griffin. Um, so like I would rather have Squee than Mist Hollow Griffin in most situations. Um, so like, yeah. That's the thing. Like you don't you don't want to be stuck with just one, like just Eternal Scourge. You definitely mm-hmm. want to have like a second yeah, one for, for sure. And yeah, and could you imagine if Kenrith had any ETB effect? 
like literally any ETB effect. Don't want it. It would be just be so glad good. It doesn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, assuming just be glad it, it, it allowed doesn't. it to work as like a meaningful outlet with food chain. Yeah, that'd be right. Pretty pretty silly. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so sorry. This we definitely sorry. Like ter- I said, ter- didn't, didn't mean to derail that. Food chain episode. Go- Golos food chain. Um, when yeah. <laughs> I tried so hard, it, it just wasn't there. Um, but but yeah. So <laughs> all, all we were trying to illustrate was that some combos allow you to attempt them again uh, more easily than others, um, which I think is right. sort of a good segue into talking about. Um, having multiple win cons for a deck. Um, and so this is, you know, this has a few different uh, sub points to it. Uh, the most obvious one that I think people have picked up on is like, what's the narrowest point to interact with you? Like how many cards do I have to extract from you before you can't win anymore? Is your deck Jester's cap? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. And like we've seen uh, recently, like with the homogenization of, of Breach and Oracle, uh, we've seen that actually that number go up a lot by the inclusion of Praetor's Grasp, um, where like it, you know, can just be a tutor for like Dockside or, or whatever, but also it can serve as a, as a, a second Oracle if, you know, yours gets exiled or you lose access to it somehow. Um, Just super fun in a webcam meta. It's actually not, <laughs> but um, <laughs> nothing about it is fun. I might have detected some sarcasm from Callahan. Mm. Oh, no, no. Absolute zero now. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, uh, you know, looking. So so there's there's that element, but also looking across the multiple win cons you play. Um, they're like are they hit by similar stacks? I think one of the traps I see a lot of people fall into a lot when they're looking for extra win cons is they put in win cons that, uh, that just fold to the same stuff. The regular one does. I think the most obvious culprit was, um, the people who want to put a and cavern harpy in Kazur and Akima. So, <laughs> Aluren, Cavern Harpy, I just saw this conversation the other it day. It happens every few weeks. There's a Reddit post or a Facebook post or something. Hey, should I put Aluren and Cavern Harpy in this Kazur Nakima deck? And if you look at that combo, it is stopped by everything that stops food chain. Like pretty much exactly. Um and so it kind of begs the question of like, what's the point? You know, when when you when you put in uh, a backup combo, say like Thassa's Oracle Demonic Consultation is your backup combo in a food chain deck. It's nice because you want to play Demonic Consultation anyways uh, and Tainted Pact. Um, and then you have. OK, so you are hit by rule of laws on both your combos. That's not fantastic. Um, but, you know, you can get through something like a Ristic study or like a, a sphere of resistance type effect with your Oracle consult uh, combo that, that maybe food chain doesn't actually work with. Um, and there are just a lot of different uh, like there are things that stop food chain uh, that don't stop that combo. And also the, the cards that tend to wind up in those types of decks, like uh, you know, your the the ad nauseum game plan that 
typically accompanies food chain is shut down decently hard uh, by things like null rod. Um, but then the food chain combo itself actually isn't. And typically you don't actually need to artifact mana to cast it because the dork mana like dorks are basically mana vaults for food chain combo because you can tap right. them for mm-hmm. a mana and then exile them for two more. Um, and so like food chain actually layers decently nicely with like the Nas consult plan where uh, with the exception of rule of laws, you know, you can get around a lot of the stuff that's typically played to hate on Nas, like the taxation effects and things that attack your mana, like, like null rod uh, and collector roof, I guess is the more popular one because of its accessibility. Um, so, so yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you raised a good point there. In fact, that was kind of like one of the, I would say, major motivators for me in building uh, food chain and like, you know, layering sort of more of the uh, fast NAS and uh, underworld breach plan. Um, specifically to not go super, super low on mana dorks. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people have since taken that deck. Um, and I would say that that idea of like, you know, slimming down the wind conditions, getting rid of like Jace Wield of Mysteries, like the kind of thing that I was doing after uh, I was so inspired by by your win. Um, I think it was hitting kill stars. Oh, the brain with, freeze. Uh, your brain freeze as he was trying <laughs> to win with uh, with his food chain, his stock food chain deck at the time. And I said, hey, you know what? Brain freeze is a win condition. And, you know, it, it layers with Underworld Breach. Um, and And so, yeah got got a lot of slot efficiency through that layering um but you know you you raise a good point which is that like something like a dranith magistrate is going to interact with both the underworld breach as well as the food chain combo but if you're not like going so deep into like the fast mana to push like this really aggressive like fast nos plan um and instead you're also playing like a number of mana dorks then you're going to be more resilient to, as you were saying, um, like some forms of hate that you kind of just end up being incredibly weak to. Uh, you, you make yourself more vulnerable to if you're not diversifying your mana sources uh, with the sort of like layered food chain approach in, in food chain for a sliver. Um, so I, I think that's a good point. And I think, again, that was certainly something I had in mind. And um you know, it's when I when I see people like trimming mana dorks from that deck to try to make it faster, I'm kind of like, well, you know, you're you're kind of pushing yourself into this situation where you might run into a lot of problems. Trying to actually um, execute the food chain combo. Yeah, exactly. Like you're gonna find yourself going only for your underworld breach lines because like you've optimized your deck to just do underworld breach now. And like you're gonna you're gonna question why you even have food chain in the deck anymore. Um, whereas like the more split approach, you know, it's fun. Like a lot of the time you're going to be using your consult to like, like cracking your led with consult on the stack, like getting Yogg Moth's will instead of like, you know, like getting food chain or something like that. And like doing like some fun stuff that way, you know, like, like other kind of interesting lines, but then with your mana dorks in play, you kind of like, like you were saying, have all those mana bolts essentially. Um, so, so you end up having a lot of mana just sitting around. Yeah. Um, 
And I think, uh, you know, talking about like cards, you know, as you said, Yug, Muswill and, and Breach and that sort of layering. Um, another another sort of facet of this is uh, the win cons that get easier over time and the win cons that get harder over time. Um, so as a lot of this will just kind of have to do with your access to mana, like every win con sort of gets easier over time in that, you know, you're probably developing more mana the longer the game goes on average and uh you know that that just means that like if you're casting an ad nauseum on turn eight like you're probably just gonna have a bunch of extra mana um and like that you might not have when you're casting it on turn two but there are also cards uh like underworld breach where like at a certain point you know when it starts it's very much like a two card combo but then like when it's turn eight, it's kind of just a one card combo. And there are other cards like this, right. like uh, Mnemonic Betrayal and Yogmoth's Will, where like you just kind of accrue the value uh, over time naturally by playing the game. Um, well, it's like you've aggregated resources yeah, over yeah, time, exactly. right? Like, yeah. Like they have, they have, you naturally start to fulfill some of the startup conditions for making them uh, be good. Admittedly, most mm-hmm. of the, like, particularly with Yagma's will and mnemonic betrayal, they're not combos in the same way where it's not like I'm going to cast this and like, there's a very specific setup that turns into a specific outcome. It's more just like, I'm going to cast this and there's a bunch of rituals and tutors in people's graveyards. And we're going to see what I could do. Um, and there are, there are some combos that get harder over time. Um, particularly uh i'm sure i'm sure pongo can attest that uh the later the game goes if you haven't sort of got the initial warriors with najila um it, yeah exactly as the board gets as gummed the board up, gets yeah. gummed up it's like okay well now you know i can't just play derevi and like tap down the person who only has one creature's blocker and then like get in um you know, everyone has a bunch of random creatures that are just like, you know, leftover dock sides or whatever sitting around. Um, and there are some other combos that sort of uh, follow similar things. Uh, another interesting one on that front is the um, Malcolm Glinthorn Buccaneer combo, where I, <laughs> I think a lot of people. Oh, this is a funny scoop yeah. to this <laughs> because they don't actually realize, but you don't win. If the person with the lowest life totals life total is less than the difference between the highest and second highest life totals of the other two people in the pod. Um, right. Because essentially when you have three opponents, you net a treasure every you deal one damage and net a treasure is the the iteration. When you have two opponents, you just deal one damage to each opponent. And then when you have one opponent, you spend a treasure to deal the damage um and so like when someone either actually dies or like you know they gnaws and they don't get there and they're at like five life um it can pose a problem for executing that combo um (laughs) that is just isn't there when everyone's life totals are still high right because you know if everyone's life total is above 20 unless someone's gained a bunch of life it's it's literally impossible if everyone's life totals are between 20 and 40, you can execute the combo no matter what. Um, but, you know, when someone's at at eight, 
and someone's at 30 and someone's at or you know someone's at 8 someone's at 28 and someone's at 38 you actually can't execute that combo um and so like it's one that gets a little bit weaker over time um because you can just run into these game states where it, where it doesn't work um and it's it's also very unpredictable in that way so what i'm hearing from this conversation is attack more and play rest in peace. <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, play rest and play rest in peace is, is not a bad, uh, not a bad idea index that can support it easily. Um, it's unfortunate that uh, Thassa's Oracle is so strong and right. Mm-hmm. Those Yogmas will mnemonic betrayal underworld breach decks. Uh, tend to have win cons that are not hit by rest in peace and thus are resilient to yeah. rest in peace being played against them. Um, but they're not hit by similar stacks. Exactly. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but uh, if you're playing against like, for example, I think like the Mardu uh, turbo Nas decks have like a much harder time uh, pivoting away from breach uh, like like dual caster twin flame is typically their backup. Some of them aren't even playing that. It's like a, not a great combo for sure. Yeah. Um, it's like the dual caster mage part. That's like a little leaves a little to be desired. Like twin flame is pretty hot. I mean, I, I actually don't particularly like twin flame. I like heat shimmer more. It is one more mana, but like the fact that you can hit other people's stuff hit with anything. It is, is kind of yeah, huge. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and especially because with Twin Flame, uh, you often run into the thing where you don't have a creature in play to target, uh, which actually means that the like you need a creature to target with the initial Twin Flame before you dual caster it, um, right. right? Which can like be a problem, particularly when you're doing Turbo Nas stuff and like sacking your commander for to you know, you sack like your your rogue wreck or whatever to to culling the week and then cast your gnaws and then it's like not only do i have to get up to two red 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 uh, i also have to get a creature into play to to target with this twin flame right it's you know obviously at its best um you know outside of the combo scenario as like a dockside doubler and that's like a pretty common usage for it um which can make it a really really powerful piece i think if you're looking at dual caster mage specifically you know you you find yourself in this position a lot of the time where if you're low on resources and you're kind of just clutching this dual caster mage you're kind of like waiting for a target and like targets just don't come it just feels super clunky like in a good number of situations like pretty often and it it's not like opposition agent where you can kind of just jam it out there to be mana efficient even if you don't like hit anything because people are playing around it. It's like, it literally just can rot in yeah, your it's hand. A, it's <laughs> if, a great ogre. People are not feeding you... things into it. Yeah. Um, well, you know, that's oh, flash. So. <laughs> but it also costs one red red instead of two red. So. Yeah. Um, it looks like Mad Farm stuff is doing Magda Curio. And as it's backup. Yeah. So of... I guess if you're, if you're playing Jessica, that becomes a little bit easier. Um, right. If you're mm-hmm. playing the Rograk version of the deck, you don't really have like you don't have that infinite uh, 
you don't have that infinite mana outlet in the command zone. Um, and it looks right. a, a lot of the Rograk versions are playing uh, reanimation with like Razaketh, for instance, just because you have like the free body in the command zone. So um, like there's a pretty good rationale for it, but obviously you're not escaping the fact that like graveyard hate is going to be hating on both of your like sort of outlets at mm-hmm. that point. Right. Breach as well as potentially reanimating uh, fatty. So, you know, it's fortunate for those decks that people aren't playing hard grave hate, like rest in peace. And, you know, they can try to get under like a Douthy void Walker in many situations. Um, so, or, 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 you know, like they can just take advantage of the fact that people are not playing like a critical mass of those like hard graveyard hate effects. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and like, you know, there's also the, the issue of like, if you're spending here, you know, you said twin phones great as a dockside doubler, but like, obviously, uh, if you spend it and it's in the graveyard, like that's kind of a problem. If it's like spent, <laughs> it's expended. Yeah. And then if rest in peace comes down, it's gone and you now don't have access to breach and your twin flames in exile. And you're, you're going to be probably having not a great time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the hope is that, uh, you know, once you've used it to double your dock side, that's probably you're winning. Yeah. Yeah, but, for sure. You know, for naturally, sure. Naturally, that's never a guaranteed thing. <laughs> yes, the the you know, no plan survives contact with the enemy, as someone <laughs> some, someone famous said that. I'm pretty sure, or I think it was Mike Tyson who said, "Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Slightly, slightly more. Uh, I don't know, uh, jarring way of putting it, but <laughs> conveys the same idea. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we we've spent a, a decent amount of time talking about about win cons, um, and you know, hopefully, given some food for thought on like selecting win cons, uh, both on their own, but also like win con packages. Um, and you know, I I do want to stress that, and I think it'll be covered a little bit in uh, some of these other sections, but like just jamming like ten different A plus B combos in your deck. It is not the answer. Uh, like, it's really, really not. Um, and I, I think some people, when they, especially when they're new to the format and trying to sort of build a deck, they they see the the ability, especially when your combos have overlapping pieces, where it's like, okay, well, uh, I'm playing, you know, these cards, so, like, I only have to include, like, one or two more cards to set up this line, and then from there it's only one or two more cards to set up that line and like that you know it does start to have a negative effect on your deck when you have a whole bunch of a plus b combos where like you're you're sitting there with a hand of like four a's and no b's and just going like well oh yeah mm-hmm. this sucks i have seen these decks um and so i guess that uh sort of transitions us into the resilience more of your deck and your game plan, unless specifically looking at your win cons and combos. Um, and so this is, uh, this can also intersect with your win cons and combos, particularly when you talk about, um, stacks vulnerability, where, uh, you can have a deck that, uh, is can't win through certain stacks, but can play through it very well, uh, or vice versa. And, uh, 
although I think that's a little bit less common. Um, or you can have a deck that, you know, can't win through or play through stacks very well. So like an, an example here is uh, most Thrasios and Timna decks, at least the more mid-rangey ones or something like Razakats, can play the game pretty well fine through a card like Rule of Law. Um, you know, you just, on your turn, you cast whatever creature you have, like maybe it's a hate bear, maybe it's just more mana dorks. You pass the turn, you have a bunch of disruptions, so you're just countering people's win cons. They can't even defend them because there's a rule of lie out. You're activating Thrasios, you're getting in with Timna or other creatures to get Timna draws. And you can more or less ignore the rule of law, at least like on a on a big scale. You're not going like, oh my god, I just can't play this game because of this rule of law. But Typically, you can't actually win through rule of law, right? Like if you're trying to execute a Thoracle combo or like Razaketh or anything like that, um, it's it's actually quite difficult to win through that. Uh, but you can play through it just fine. And that's also true of like uh, if you're if you were playing like CST more classically um, compared to compared to like some of the the songs green. Uh, decks that play similar combos your game through null rod is a lot stronger you still have some suite of mana dorks you have timna for card advantage um thrasius to a lesser extent because you are a little bit more rock reliant um but you can still play the game decently well even if you know casting Nas and then winning off it or your scepter combo don't actually work um and you know, that can be translated into other avenues. Um, Dranith Magistrate is is a big one where like some decks actually just kind of fold to Dranith. <laughs> you know, they can't win, they can't play through it, and also their commander doesn't come down ahead of of Dranith's often. Um, like you know, with with really cheap commanders, you can just get them out there usually before the Dranith comes down unless it's like turn one or a turn two and you're unlucky on turn order. Um, but, uh, you know, there are some decks like, I mean, I, <laughs> I do still occasionally play uh, Muldrotha and when Dranith's out, it's it's just, it's just not a good time because this right. commander that this can be, even if, even if you manage like, to land Muldrotha before the, the, uh, the comes down <laughs> or you actually live the dream and you have the command beacon, um, you still like now you just can't cast stuff out of the bin can't cast from the graveyard um, yeah this is a problem even for some of like the four drop commanders yeah um like because you're not always gonna have like the perfect curve that lets you put them into play on turn three or like um or turn two or earlier you know what i mean like a lot of the time with like a deck like urza for instance i would say the average is like getting urza down on turn three probably um see i would say that but i play with keegan so the average is turned one (laughs) and a half yeah exactly you just have like jeweled lotus and mana crypt like turn one urza plus ristic study like vomit in my mouth on like when yeah anyway um yeah so it it feels like four drop commanders especially like in, in that are not in green um, or in like blue black, for instance. Uh, so like playing a ton of fast mana, like oftentimes will come down turn three, and that depending on turn order might screw you over 
for uh, if a Dranith Magistrate comes down. And then like five drop commanders as well naturally have that issue. Um, you know, you named Moltrotha, but like it feels like Hullin would also be like one that probably gets tagged by that pretty often. Um, short of like some specific starts. Yeah, now now that's admittedly like I think that's a deck where obviously it's not good, but you have, you know, creature based ways of dealing with it, notably Gilded Drake, um, but also like right. a spell seeker for a removal spell. And like a pretty right. comprehensive suite of tutors. And also like if you can land the Holland before a Dranith comes down, like then you actually just get to completely ignore it. Yeah, so, you don't care at all. So like that's Gitrog Monster yeah. uh, is another same like five drop commander, but that one can often come into play like faster, yeah, right? Because you just have you have the the acceleration that you get from black. Yeah. And also you tend to play uh like the deck plays some of the artifacts stuff that Holland doesn't play because it's on like no right. odds. Um, but yeah, so like, you know, when you're, when you're looking at your deck, you maybe want to pick a deck that can play through some of the stuff it can't win through or can win through some of the stuff it doesn't necessarily play through super well. Um, so at least you have that, uh, you know, you have that, that option and it's not just oh one you know one card has like totally shut down you know all aspects of my deck and like i'm now just stuck here like praying i can find a way to kill it um and and then like you know move on um maybe like yeah i'm trying to think of a i'm trying to think of a good example of a deck that can win through something it can't play through um I mean, I guess, I guess those would be uh, like super commander reliant decks and Dranith, where like if you can get the Dranith down, you can just win, or if you can just assemble whatever win con you have that's not actually hit by Dranith, uh, you know, quote unquote manually, then uh, then you can win through that. Um, but certainly the more common thing is being able to play through hate pieces, even if you can't necessarily win through them. Right. Um, it's interesting. Like this is probably not exactly what you were getting at, but like Najila could potentially be an example where if Dranith magistrate comes down, that axis is shut off, but obviously you're still playing like a, you know, like a fairly convincing, like blue black X, like, console deck with like Nas and stuff like that in many situations. Um, so like you do have like those pivots as it were, but, but it's not, I guess it's not exactly like you were, what you were talking about, no, right? It, Cause it's not just about having a backup that ignores Dranith magistrate. Yeah, it, it's not, but it's also not like, it's not unrelated. And that does sort of transition into talking about, you know, what your deck does apart from winning, uh, and how that can sort of play into its resilience. Um, right. And like, obviously a big thing uh, is, is card advantage where, um, you know, if you're drawing a lot of cards, uh, first of all, you're just more likely to find win cons. You're more likely to find win cons multiple times, more likely to find protection. Um, and I think one of the, one of the sort of hallmarks of, the most all in the most glass cannon decks is um, they've traded 
typically value in the command zone for speed in the command zone. Uh, the poster child of this obviously being Rograk, where um, <laughs> like like Rograk Silas is faster than Kess. Like it it definitely is. Um, but Kess gives you a little bit more of a game plan when you dumped your hand, you cast an ad nauseum, and it got countered. Like you now have this pivot where it's like, okay, well, I can stick my Kess, even if, you know, my ad nauseum is gone, you know, like hey, maybe I can try this ponder again or like this imperial seal or right. or whatever. I can set up, you know, things like that. I have some mo- however moderate value case. How are you able to recover when stuff goes sideways? Yeah, like how how are you able to, first of all, recover your position? Like in this case, I mean, recover your position um, in terms of like resources um, and then as a secondary aspect, there's also how are you able to recover like your pieces and specific cards. Um, right. And I think a, an often overlooked aspect of card advantage is also um, just the card quality as card advantage, um, because people often just look at like a, a, a raw number of cards. And that's obviously important, um, but also what those cards do uh, and how they <laughs> trade very much matters as well. Um, And so like, I think this is where, you know, we mentioned Cody a little bit earlier. I think this is where the deck has surprised a lot of people, um, which is that it plays like 22 interactive instants or something like insane like that. Um, Against one of the most interactive decks in the format. Um, Mm -hmm. And while, in a super long drawn out game, um, you know, you do definitely suffer from the lack of card advantage and lack of resource accrual uh, in the command zone. You can often afford to play like a little bit longer than you might in something like a Silas Rograk because the cards you're drawing um, are a lot stronger on average and are much more likely to have an impact on the game state uh, when the game state, when the game doesn't just like end on turn two or turn three. They're also very, and I think this is something that I don't know that I think usually gets brought up when you're talking about, I would imagine when you're talking about uh, Cody is not only is its card quality like surprisingly high, it's um, like a resource, uh, it's card re like it's average card value is incredibly low, right? Like it's very likely that it can cast most of its spells in its hand at any given time. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, you mean like the mana cost, the mana value? Yeah, of the cards. Yeah, 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 it's uh, and the deck is filled with a lot of fast mana, so it's yeah, it's not hard to kind of tempo the table in that respect. But like, for example, because you have that game plan, that super fast game plan, um, one of the things that saves you a lot of slots, and I think like a lot of people didn't actually pick up on this, is like the deck doesn't play two mana rocks, right? Like if you look at if you look at like most of the Grixis decks, they have like f- several of them. Usually, they'll have. Certainly Arcane Signet of Felwar Stone, and then often right. like some of the talismans, 
maybe even usually like some of the signets. Like another one or two, I would say, once you're in like three colors. Um, it, it, I don't know. Off the top of my head, it feels like most of those decks are playing like four two mana. Like Rog Silas is playing Arcane Signet, Felwar Stone, Talisman of Dominance. Okay, so Rog Silas yeah. plays three. I think so like exactly like I'm, three to four. I'm looking at the the Kess list. It's actually this. This is fa- Famous Kess right. is I think actually on six of them. Um, oh yeah, wow. Uh, you, you would expect Rograk to be on fewer just because. You know, that deck has access to more fast mana right. and rituals and stuff like yeah. that. Chrome um, to Veshir's oh. playing four. Yeah. So, so something like that. Um, this is on six from damn. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, that, that makes a certain amount of sense just because of like specifically casting Kess on three is like. Excuse me. No, seven. If uh, Grim Monolith no, is no, a two no, Grim, mana. Grim Monolith doesn't count. Grim Monolith doesn't count. <laughs> um, yeah. It's more of a ritual. Um, we're, I think we're talking, yeah, yeah, so more talking about like, those, those two like mana recurrent rocks. Um, is like something that most of these decks have to be playing um, and you just get to not play them in Cody um, and that frees up room for five more interactive spells. Um, And like, it, yeah. Well, but you're also playing more of the sort of rituals you'd be playing in Rograk, for example, right? Because you do want to eventually sack Cody. Yeah. So, so you do, you are playing some of those, um, but then you're also, you're cutting, um, the things like the things that actually form part of the winning plan of these decks, like you're not playing the wheels. Uh, you're not, you're right. Not, I was going to say, you know, that's where you're getting a lot of the slots from. Sure. Right? Yeah, you, you, you're not playing like a bunch of the, the things that turn like a deck, like, uh, like Rogue Silas, like fewer win conditions and you're playing fewer. Yeah. F- outlets, fewer win conditions and outlets. Um, which gives you the slots for more interaction, which means like if you try and win and you don't get there and the game goes on like two or three more turns, you know, you probably when you got stopped had one piece of interaction in your hand that like you just couldn't cast and you've probably drawn another one. Um, and now you're just kind of sitting there with like two pieces of interaction in hand. Um, and, and like, well, well, obviously Cody is not a resilient deck in the scale of all decks. Um, compared to how fast it is it is a lot more resilient than like particularly the uh the rograk ones and a lot of that has to do with the card quality yeah and it's it's pretty nice to not have to play those wheels and just take advantage of other people spending three mana to refill your hand for you exactly right? exactly <laughs> uh and the the last aspect of this which I think it's probably also of all the things we've discussed probably comes up the least often is uh resource re- <clears throat> recurrence. Um, particularly like there are some effects that decks are just not playing a lot of. Um, and that can actually become a problem uh, <laughs> at a certain point. Like if people are just, just keep slapping down rule of laws and null rods and you're playing a turbo deck, like, a lot of them just don't actually have that many ways of removing problematic permanence, right? Like, right. like there, there was a time, you know, when, when the format was Thrasios, Tim had dominated, this was less of an issue because you were playing abrupt decay assassin's trophy, usually nature's claim some, you know, maybe two bounce spells, like either a rift in a chain of vapor or like winds of rebuke and chain of vapor or something like that. Um, 
And so like you had, you know, a, a pretty solid set of, you could answer several problematic permanents over the course of a game. Um, but like when you're looking at these more like red, black focused decks, um, they start to struggle. Like just, you know, if you look at like a given Rakdos deck, typically it can remove, you know, one enchantment with feed the swarm if they play it. Uh, and one enchantment by Praetor's grasping something from someone else's deck <laughs> to remove an enchantment. Uh, and then they're done. Um, and they don't, you know, have good ways. Like they're not in green. Obviously green just gives you the ways of removing enchantments, but like it also gives you stuff like regrowth or, or more commonly noxious revival. Uh, if you're in a creature based deck, you know, sometimes people play, play eternal witness in like decks with big, you know, creature tutor packages and whatever. Um, because at a certain point you can run out of all of the things that let you do something and that can also that can be win conditions as we discussed earlier but it can also be like removal or counter spells or whatever it is um and that's you know an aspect if your games are going very very long that you often might want to consider right yeah absolutely it's recursion it's wild to me how many people have just decided, and I feel like we talk about this every week, that Cyclonic Rift is not worth playing. Like, I, I just play Cyclonic Rift in your deck, folks. <laughs> I feel like this is, like, pretty old news at this point. It, it, it kind of feels to me like everyone's back on Cyclonic Rift by now. So, um, I mean, I certainly, I think there are a decent number of decks where it's not super great. Um, particularly the super artifact focused ones and ritual focused ones um, where like you just aren't realistically able to overload it. Um, like, like something like a rug Silas, I could, you know, I buy the argument that like, I'm never overloading this. So like, why am I not just playing winds of rebuke? Why am I not just playing uh, alchemists retrieval? You know, like, something that can bounce my dock side or something that has some other upside or like, or like rushing river, yeah, rushing river where like, if I need to remove two stacks pieces, I can for like a more castable amount of mana, but definitely in decks with like more decks with card advantage that can hit their land drops for longer decks with more diverse, uh, sources of mana, like, like decks with a mix of dorks and rocks. Um, yeah, obviously I think that, playing cyclonic rift is uh, just like a an important uh out to to too many problems being presented <laughs> all at once uh for you to yeah. sort of deal with them individually yeah uh i like off the top of my head can't think of too too many decks that aren't playing cyclonic rift anymore um you know i'm sure there's still the occasional I am looking at Tevishkrom Storm and they are playing Snap and Unsubstantiate. Yeah. Um, See, that's a mistake. <laughs> it just, like, it's just a is, mistake. This is the deck that's supposed to be like the grindy, like Grixis Nas deck, too, right? And it's right. not playing like 
like a, 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 a cyclonic rift. And that just feels incorrect. It's, it's the sort of thing that was more justifiable before stacks made a big resurgence. And like now stacks has made a, a big resurgence and you have to be prepared. Um, so like cyclonic rift, I think makes the cut every time now. Um, and like, additionally, probably you should be playing like another board wipe of some kind, like calling ritual slash. You should also potentially be considering like dress down or, or like a deluge damn. type effect or a dam winds yeah. of abandon. Like, oh, it's you know, just, I don't know that you need to necessarily overload on these effects, but I yeah. will not get out of here. With <laughs> it doesn't even abandoned. answer. It only answers creatures. This is, this is. It's I mean, dam only answers creatures too, right? Yeah, but, but dam is, is better on both halves than winds of abandon. Yeah, well, winds of abandon. Ah, not that's not accurate at that, all. That bad. Yeah, I don't know. Winds of abandon. Exiling your fine. entire opponent's board is uh, like all of your opponent's a- creatures board wipe. Yeah, yeah, the exiles is not bad at all. I mean, it's six mana. Yeah, you're, but you're I mean, playing the deck- it in decks that routinely want to get to six. Yeah, mana. sure. Like, okay, okay. Like, I guess, sorry. I think I think that 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 it serves a very different purpose than Dam would serve in right. Like as an right. as an out to a bunch of problematic permanents, as opposed to like almost a value play. It's, Winds of Abandon is really good in debt like hate bear decks that really care about the permanents that are on like the, the yeah their the own cards board. that they play, and that's kind of one of the things where I keep reminding people i'm like this is asymmetrical like yeah and people yeah, don't play a lot of basics uh like if you're heads up damning right like if you're overloading dam or you know paying four mana um yeah it's it's you're just casting damnation essentially at that point right so mm-hmm. you have to be playing ideally a strategy that uh doesn't get hurt too too badly like Dam is uh, really you know, good in these, like, in these like, in these Yeah, like in Turbonostics sure. to play like four creatures, right? Like, well, you know, I think it's totally fine too. In like even the like Timna Chrom decks that are playing, you know, upwards of like ten plus creatures, um, because like a lot of those creatures are kind of just like Timna value creatures as opposed to things that you desperately need to have in play. So like, sure, you know, they're there, they draw you a few cards, and then when you're kind of ready to go for it, right. Like it doesn't hurt you that that much that they're gone. In fact, like putting them in the graveyard can even be a boon, right? Because that's you're aggregating resources there for like a, an eventual breach line or something. You know, it's like a little niche. Like obviously, it would be cool to keep your board if you can, but it's it's not like they're it's it's not like you're sacrificing so much position right. in a deck like that. Yeah, you know, I, I think that. Um, People should be playing uh, Cyclonic Rift and, and probably Dam now as like their yeah. uh, sort of like open season, you know, open meta, uh, part of their open meta removal packages. And and obviously if you're playing into like your specific meta game where you know that you don't really need to wipe the board a lot because you're playing against like Kess and you're playing against like, you know, a few other sort of like not incredibly creature heavy decks um you know even something like like an urza or whatever um 
or, you know, decks where like the creatures on board don't actually even bother you that that much. Like, you know, I could imagine Yisan perhaps being an example, although, you know, there is collector oof. Um, you know, at that point, you could maybe justify not playing it. Right. But like, again, we're talking open, open meta. I think that these decks need to be playing these cards. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. They usually are. In, in my experience, it's it's like you speak to the people who pilot these decks and they will tell you time and time again, like, oh, yeah, like the deck list that I have on Moxfield is like for when I'm playing against these people. Um, and like, I don't care to maintain a like general purpose deck list. It's like and like a separate deck list that's like tuned for like a tournament meta or something like that. Yeah, though, though I do think that uh, often people who take other people's deck lists um like suffer because like certainly i've I've played in my fair share of tournament games where i've like commented you know like there's just like this disgusting gummed up board state and someone like has a bunch of mana and they're resolving a tutor i'm like oh we're getting rifted and they're like i don't play rift i'm like well (laughs) perhaps (laughs) in entering this tournament you you should have put a rift in your deck. Um, right. And like, you know, often if you talk to the people who maintain the list, they go like, oh yeah, well in an open meta or in a meta where I was facing X, Y, or Z, like I would swap out, you know, this card for, for rift or whatever. And I know Bunga, you've said that you put, uh, there's a time where you were putting rift in your deck when you were coming on team turn three, uh, but not necessarily. Yeah. Like, in other places because you knew that we right. tended to play decks that that played to the board more than than like maybe some of the discord metas um, yeah this was like peak turbo time right yeah and it's funny because like now i'm fucking bringing Chatterfang to like team turn three <laughs> games um which is like also a card i would consider bringing into a more open meta because like that's the thing. Like it, it, it is kind of like that catch-all creature removal that you can kind of play and theoretically, like, really just start clocking people with. Like, it, it has like some value proposition. Um, I hate the decks we all play. <laughs> we just play the most annoying ass shit. Well, I mean, you just you just hate Najila with a burning passion. <laughs> well, I've been, you know, I've been what's the burnt by that card long before I was even making content right <laughs> I, I kind of resent this because I play a very diverse set of decks yeah Callahan just hates playing with us it's not the decks it, it's like, just a friend like, I don't know I, I, what what well, no okay pattern? let me because Okay, I, I think this is more of a compliment than anything, to is be honest. Is it that I play carefully? It's that I play carefully, isn't it? It's because you play carefully. No, um, <laughs> because, like, Team Turn 3 is a lot of, like, like you guys are all excellent players. The type of decks that you bring are decks that generally operate on, like, a lot of these nodes that we've been kind of touching on here. Um and tend to be less like, you know, like I can walk into some discord metas and like wreck a day with a rule of law and just, you know, run away with games. But, you know, you walk into team turn three and the type of decks that we play are decks that people that are, I don't know, 
looking for an interesting game, I guess. Uh, we, we tend to, to favor more resilient well, decks. Yeah, is what you're saying. I mean, that's what I, I'm saying. I certainly play my fair share of decks that don't play well into rule of law. I just have a plan to deal with that generally. <laughs> Like, like Holland's not having a great time into rule of law. Orvar's not having a great time into rule of law. I just, you know, look at the decks my opponents are playing and realize, you know, that I'm going to need a certain game plan, um, which I think is also like something we didn't even really get into, uh, but is also an important aspect of all of this is that, um, like, you can't be making all of these decisions in deck building, right? Like, mm-hmm. they're at a certain point, you, right. know, you might have to look, uh, you know, when you sit down in your pod and you see like, hey, look, it's like Yasharn and uh, Lavinia and, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's already a terrible pod. <laughs> like, and, and, and Baral. Like, yeah, you sit down, you see Yasharn, Lavinia, Baral. These are your opponents. And you're playing like you've you're playing the deck and you're going like, well, great. I've teched my deck. You know, it's a lot less all in than it could be. I have some of these like pivot plans. I have a resilient win con, whatever. Um, All of that's great. But like if you're keeping a hand that's like turn one imp seal, turn two, you know, crypt ritual ad nauseum. uh, You're going to have a bad time. (laughs) Um, Like you, you do need to recognize what. Uh, you know, when you're when you're drawing your opening hand, when you're casting your tutors, um, when you're sort of positioning yourself in the game, you need to be able to predict a little bit uh, where the game's going to go and therefore like what you need to be doing. Um, well, I mean, like a, a really good example of this was a game I had while I was playing Lavinia in my local game store and the pod was seat one Cody Seat two, Najila, seat three, me on Lavinia, seat four, uh, I think it was Golo Storm. Um, or no, it was Rest another Cody deck. Um, so like the turn one, I had a gemstone, I silenced the Cody player on like upkeep, like turn one. The Gila wow, does the Gila. <laughs> that is so aggressive. It is aggressive, but the reason I like the 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 reason you do that is you look at that and you go like, okay, well, Lavinia's like whole thing against Turbo Nas is it's way better when it's ahead in turn order before they can get rocks down, before they can start putting those things down. Right. And so you're effectively shifting them in turn order behind you by doing that. So they make a land drop, but you basically put them behind you in your turn in the turn order. Yeah, because um, you want to eventually shut off their ability to cast their fast mana. Right. Yeah. Um, that- but this isn't this isn't the whole seems, story, though. Especially because silence is so good against Cody. <laughs> well, it it shut ended up shutting out both the Cody players because what ended up happening was neither Cody player paid attention to the deck that I was playing and only paid attention to the fact that there was a Najila at the table. Um, so I, of course, you know, it gets my turn on on uh, going third. Uh, I play Lavinia pass to the person going in fourth and the person going forth on Cody kept a no land hand. And Oof. the person in first a, only kept one land. Uh, so the like the side, the aggressive play ended up paying off. Nigella won the game. 
<laughs> That's what I call paying off personally. I was I was a uh, I overloaded a cyclonic rift and it got uh, countered and had that resolved. Uh, I would have won the game. So uh, hear me out. You made me so happy, Kelly. Hear me out. <laughs> Imagine if you'd cast a silence and then overloaded that cyclonic rift. Well, we would yeah. have lost to the Cody players. Like, well, no, you so would have won before that. Here's one thing to consider, how though. Cody, how does Cody your... kill you through Lavinia on one land? Right. right. Exactly. That's fair. And, and also, like, you, Cody can't actually cast a Profane Tutor with Lavinia in play either, right? So, like, you right. shut Unless, off Cody. Well, you can't. Um, there are, like, ways to get around that, notably, like, Veils, but then then sure. you can't, yeah, you yeah. actually can't cast, like, the Ad Nauseum. Right, uh, right. But like the the point that I'm trying to make here is like the Cody players did not pay attention to one of the decks that were at the table and like they lost the game as a result because they were not able to do their thing. I and mean, then me and the Najila player just tried to play one V one. How well, how, how did that work out? Uh, especially not when, especially great. when they can attack the, the Cody no, players. No, but, yeah, no, I was going to say like, worse. especially, you know, <laughs> two there's a, first of all there's another cody player in the pod and second of all there's a lavinia um so you just hard mulligan for claim the firstborn right like that's the right it's the line you can either claim the firstborn the lavinia and it'll protect you from being interacted with or you just claim the firstborn the other person's cody easy game um <laughs> but yeah mulliganing like this for what it's worth these aggressive mulligans right very important part of playing this format like I remember when we were playing that double Cody game, um, it was like one of the last games of the night. We were, you know, we said let's just jam a fast one. Everyone pulls out their fast turbo decks, and Callahan pulls out a null rod deck. Um, <laughs> it was the fastest deck I had. Okay, hang on a second. Uh, hang on a second. Or 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 Rector. That can, was what I had. Can we just take in that this is the man who said he hates the decks? We play because I said we not- all. I said we all. But when we all decided I, to pull I'm, out a fast deck, Bongo and I pulled out <laughs> Cody, and you pulled out Thrasios Timna Nolrod <laughs> mid range, right? Yeah. Like I but, don't know, man. You know, <laughs> I raise this example because it's. I think personally, I think it's a pretty good one. Where like Morgan, you Mulligan to. I remember I think you like put back like a hand that was fast, but like didn't have any interaction whatsoever. Um, and so you ended up mulliganing to like a relatively fast hand that also had removal. And I just mulliganed to like kind of not a spectacular hand, but it just had claimed the firstborn. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm like after Morgan in turn order. Let's go. Like This is <laughs> perfect seating, perfect card to have in hand. And it just did. It worked out like Morgan was like kept trying to be the first person to win. Callahan stopped him <laughs> repeatedly. And then I just claimed the Cody and it was done. It was like, oh, OK, every, everything's spent. And here we go. Like my Mulligan decision has paid off. Yeah, so, so yeah, uh, that's it. Like, think about your plan and where you're seated. <laughs> seated. Obviously, right? a hard mulliganing to one card is not typically what thinking about your plan means. Uh, but no, because you can't guarantee yeah, you have you it. But if you see it, it, right? But if you see it, you keep it. <laughs> but like, for example, you know, in the 
in the Lavinia Cody example, um, you know, mulliganing to a hand with lands is probably not a bad idea. If you can get lands and either removal or like some way to get around the Lavinia, even better. Um, And if you're just keeping like a hand that's supposed to like turbo out Cody, unless you're going ahead of the Lavinia player and planning on winning on turn two and just hoping that they can't land the Lavinia on turn one. If you're like, if that's not in the cards for you, you know, you need to have a plan for this Lavinia that is going to come down on turn two. So if you're on tap, if your plan is to untap with Cody and then like do the same old, same old, like activate, cast a spell, profane tutor, Nas, uh, like that's not going to work. You're going to need, you know, something else. Um, and you know, that, that I think really illustrates that first of all, you can't, you know, making decisions in deck building isn't enough, um, because you also then still need to play the game, uh, correctly, but also like (laughs) the importance of, you can amplify those decisions that you do make in deck building, um, just by like having a few of these sort of pivot plans and, and not exactly silver bullets, but like cards for, uh, situations that aren't the ideal. Um, it gives you that flexibility, uh, to adapt to, you know, the, the circumstances that you are going to be facing in a given game. Yeah, for sure. But sometimes you just have to keep those hands that are stupid, right? Like, like the turn one Ristic study and like, you know, you, you don't necessarily you get, have like the plan, but it's just like, this is powerful. And then sometimes you just get silenced in your, your first turn up. <laughs> yeah. By yeah. a person who, who just completely cleanly hands the game to the person going second. Exactly. Sometimes that just happens. We forgot about the most powerful <laughs> stacks piece of them all playing with Callahan. <laughs> well, I, th- I think that's a Lavinia problem that, that, you know, famously has trouble closing out games. Okay. Yeah. But does Callahan play decks that aren't Lavinia? Like, I understand that they're not literally, <laughs> they're not Lavinia. literally Lavinia, but, <laughs> but they're like on some level Lavinia. They're like, like Lavinia, like three Lavinias in a trench coat. Is this the is this the like uh the the like um the roast Callahan episode? No, 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 no. the the alignment chart of like how much is this a Splinter Twin? <laughs> Have you oh, seen sure. the, the <laughs> like okay. of the decks that I play? Like, which one of them is like the most Lavinia? Which one is the least Lavinia or whatever? <laughs> I remember I made a. Uh, a Thrasios alignment chart. Yeah. <laughs> it's like growth spiral is a Thrasios. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh my goodness. But uh, yeah, I guess, the, you know, it, I, th- I think it is also important as with when talking about the, the positives of food chain, uh, Callahan pointed out, it's important to also point out some negatives. Uh Every decision you make, particularly in deck building, you know, comes with trade-offs. Um, so a lot of the things we've been talking about here um, are are going to have some uh, 
you know, negative impact on some other aspect of your deck. And I think it's important to acknowledge that um, most obviously is in the speed department, right? Like if you're cutting, if you're cutting your Simeon spirit guides and your right of flames and your, uh, you know, some of the less good tutors, like maybe the, the diabolic intents uh, and putting in like a little bit more interaction or like some, some engines or whatever. Um, obviously you like your deck just won't have quite that same like explosive out of the gate um, power that it might have. Um, people, I think people tend to also make this mistake where they think like putting in a lot of win cons uh, will make their deck fast. Um, and that's like not really true. Like if you're cutting rituals to put in more win cons, your deck is not going to get faster. It's going to get slower because we're talking about hundred cards singleton here. There is no deck that has the density of, you know, a plus B win cons, uh, necessary to somewhat quasi consistently just have one. So mm-hmm. if you're still trying to either set up like a big, uh, you know, card draw spell, like a Nas or appear into the abyss, or you're going to have to double tutor or, or at least tutor like one of the pieces of your win con, then the lack of things that make that faster are going to slow you down more than having more A plus Bs is going to speed you up in a lot of scenarios, especially once you get into like higher numbers, you know, having, having, Three a three like completely disjointed a plus b's is like kind of a lot, uh, but I could certainly see the argument for it in some decks and it's manageable. But like you know, if you're just gonna jam in like five or seven or whatever, like at a certain point you're just gonna be drawing all sorts of dead combo pieces that just don't fit together at all. Um, and and you know there are other like it'll impact a little bit the consistency of your deck as well. Um, as you, as you, you know, trim, especially a lot of the the cards we talked about putting in are like cards with different effects, right? Adding unique effects to your deck that let you deal with unique situations. But obviously the more unique effects that you have, the fewer copies of like the specific set of effects that you want most of the time you have. So if you're cutting your very cheap bounce, you know, your very cheap bounce spells for like uh rushing river, for example, um, if you, if you were to cut a chain of vapor or like a stern dismissal or, or something like that for rushing river, um, sure. You can deal with two stacks pieces in that case where you need it. But like, Sometimes you also have a three mana piece of interaction instead of a one mana piece of interaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if you're cutting like miscast for mana drain, like, yeah, those times when, you know, you mana drain the crom are great. Um, but those times when you're trying to go off on turn two and you have one extra mana, but not two less great. Um, and so, so like, it's just always important to consider uh, how likely is the scenario that this card answers to come up? You know, how 
likely is the scenario that the card it's replacing uh, is better. Uh, like, how likely is that scenario? Um, and just understand that, you know, everything's everything's a trade-off. Uh, and, you know, you... you do need to consider uh, all of the all of these factors in your in your deck building. Yeah. Yep. It's, yep. <laughs> There's no deck that that can do it all. Be a jack of all trades. Yeah. Except for Flash. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. Um, That's why it needed. Uh, yes, we forgot. We forgot about the last type of resilience: ban resilience. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! How gutted well, is your deck by having a key piece? I you were you were uh, talking about this earlier, and I just you mentioned like the different Hulk uh, decks and how like you know certain pieces if it was in your hand or whatever. And I just immediately was reminded of all the horrible situations I was in with shuffle Hulk back in the day. I mean, shuffle Hulk, and shuffle Hulk wasn't even the worst for that. Yeah, like they, it had a lot of pieces, but well, the problem was, like, was karmic guide was worse. I feel hand, like that's for sure. I had the world's worst luck with that deck where I was able to just like always draw the Kozilek. Yeah. It was like Wait, every time that's I was very just like easy to solve. You just, get the body snatcher well so i somehow managed like on the turn i was going to go off i had body snatcher in hand so i was like yeah, yeah it's fine but like i because cause in the deck somehow managed on that turn to draw into cause like it was like oh, wow fuck yeah ah, this is why you just play two titans <laughs> yeah i guess oh my god and then you know run into slow play issues right no no you don't playing two titans wouldn't cause you to run into slow play issues trying to take advantage of playing two titans sure yeah yeah right i spent way too long explaining to people that no you can't just flip into a titan and shuffle it back in until you hit an archimiba first that's not how this works that's literally (laughs) you're literally doing what four horsemen did and you're not allowed to do that (laughs) like like people called it's get so wrong much four less likely yeah <laughs> people called get wrong four horsemen but like you are literally doing the four horsemen thing like exactly the same thing um but at least we don't have to worry about that anymore yeah oh lovely <laughs> good times yeah that was a, a nice step in it was a nice right like two-year period when flash and hulk were legal at the same time that was, was it two years was it, it was, longer than that it, it was, was like Three. It was three years. Okay. Pretty much exactly. It was. It was from. Uh, from yeah, it's wild to think about that. Spring twenty seventeen to spring twenty twenty. Yeah, that's like CEDH, like the majority of CEDH for a lot of people. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's like for me, yeah. Like I, I yeah. followed it enough to know like what was going on before, because like it was also it wasn't just that that Hulk was unbanned. It was also like, um, they. You know, in Kaladesh, they printed Reversal, which like made Scepter a combo that was like pretty ubiquitous. And then Paradox Engine was an Aether Revolt and partners yep. came out in between Kaladesh and Aether Revolt. So it was like a six month period where it was like we got like Paradox Engine, a fantastic combo, 
the best commanders ever, and also Flash Hulk is now legal. Yeah, no, trust me, I remember That's modern I was, CEDH. I was there. <laughs> yeah, it feels like we had our Modern Horizons two moment already in this format. Yeah, no kidding. And, uh, and then we had a yeah. second one. We had a second. <laughs> we had literal Modern Horizons two. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, or uh, Theros Beyond Death was arguably Theros yeah. Beyond Death. Yeah, for yeah, no kidding. World Breach and Dockside and et cetera, et cetera. Um, somehow, I feel like that was a less significant change to the overall metagame than that period you described before, Morgan, where we had um, reversal partners, Flash, what if- and paradox engine what if you paired the flash ban in with the oracle and breach printings yeah okay i mean at that point sure i think that's like because those happened within like months of each other yeah the oracle was printed in january or february and then flash was banned in april yeah i just find that like the current metagame feels closer to that metagame you know post all of those things mm-hmm. then that metagame post all of those things felt to the metagame that preceded it if that makes any sense to you it like you know because partners are still such a major part of the format and obviously we've gotten like new commanders since then so like right. you know the carpool has changed and all that but like i think i think commander legends honestly was like a like i would say that if you stretched it out to that point of 2020 because i think like 2020 was a big shake up here as far as that goes because you also had commander legends which just injected like a ton of like partners and new decks into the format i mean depending on if we're counting hull breachers impact in that um i think i agree or disagree um yeah like like i don't actually think that commander legends obviously it provided like a bunch of different flavors of existing decks but i don't know that like the printing of rograk and that supplanting existing mardu turbo Nas was like a particularly meaningful meta shift it, it just feels like the format got so so powerful right like after you know essentially again i'm going back to what you were talking about morgan like all of those changes that the changes that came after it um you know while they have powered up the format considerably i don't know at at least from like where i'm sitting it, it just feels like um it didn't feel like as dramatic of an increase from compared one to, to the, the other. initial one yeah, yeah exactly and and you know part of that is just going to be like a question of like relative well you're also a boomer that, right? so you know well <laughs> I, I was i was around for all of this right <laughs> um yeah the, the format was a lot weaker back in the day and and then it got very very powerful and then like we were able to absorb all these new powerful cards without the format like feeling now that it's like radically different to me i don't know yeah. you know like obviously things are different I'm not trying to say that they're not, but it's just like, in some sense, it's like, it's like a diversification of like 
what is powerful in the format. We got like more powerful options, but it's not like the stuff that was powerful before is like totally outclassed. Which is like what did happen, <laughs> like with the with the first major shift, at least uh, you know from where I'm sitting. I would agree with that, but anyhow, uh, <laughs> we're like you, we thought the food chain tangent was bad. Now we're just yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that about wraps things up for us here today, Morgan. Thank you so much for spearheading this, and uh, you know discussing this stuff what is going on over on into the north right now uh we are uh definitely releasing all of our episodes on time for sure 100 <laughs> uh we always do a big year in review that'll probably be a live stream and we're hoping that we'll all be able to be in the same room for it um where we'll you know we'll go well, that'll over, be fun um the you know the cards and decks of this year, make some predictions for next year, uh, make fun of all our predictions from last, from year, last year and, you know, Who answer predicted powerful white cards. Cause <laughs> that one finally came true. Yeah. You, which cards in particular? Esper Sentinel. Okay. I guess <laughs> that's powerful white card. <laughs> that doesn't really white card. Um, you know, and then, uh, assuming we do, I mean, we will, we will do it live either way. Um, so, you know, we'll answer people's questions in the chat and just, you know, hang out and get to see people. Um, and, uh, we, yeah, we recently released an episode with uh, Joking, the frontman and, and primary force behind uh, Monarch Events, uh, tournament organizer extraordinaire. And he definitely uh, provided some really interesting insight on uh, it was a very good episode. what it takes to run a tournament and... Uh, and, you know, that sort of that process and that uh, and like the things that go into it that certainly like there were lots of things that I had never really appreciated. Um, yeah. And we'll oh, yeah, that's a good uh, episode. check it out for sure. I think we're also working towards getting our next uh, deck deep dive episode lined up where we, where we have guests on and, uh, you know, experts in a specific deck and like really get into the the weeds of like okay where do you know some of the best pilots the people have spent longest with this deck actually like disagree a little bit um and you know what are the things that like you know the the questions that are are you know assume you know too much to like just put in a primer um and uh yeah we we should have it's gonna be on about get wrong right well, we already did get rug, uh, so probably not. Um, you did get rug like three years ago. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it was our it was our first. It We've done get rug, consult, Urza, Godo, and Cats. I think are the ones we've yeah, done. Yeah, Cats so was the last one you did. I think. Yeah, it's it's been it was a the one you while, did with but, uh, Shaper and uh, Tarot. Forget Tarot. That's right. Um, but yeah, we, but yeah, of course, go check out into the north. They are one of the oldest, uh, like still running podcasts. We for are CDH the oldest, out there. longest continuously. <laughs> and, and in fact, we lasted longer than we have now lasted longer than any of the podcasts, even the ones that are no longer around. So longest continuously running CDH podcast. Nice. Um, Pongo, you are 
kind of the head mod over there on the r slash cedh uh discord server tell us what's going on over there these days yeah they've somehow made the horrible Some, decision of somehow. giving me authority over things uh <laughs> so um yeah what we have going on is pretty much you know weekly events um Tonight, for instance, uh, you know, if I wasn't here, I would be at our webcam VLGS that's currently ongoing. If you're looking to play some commander, uh, you know, and you want to play over spell table, Friday's a great night because we have pods firing that are organized by our lovely game masters. Um, additionally, you know, this is a little bit, this is sort of in the works. It's a little bit secret. Probably shouldn't be talking about it too, too much yet, but, but you know, it's, it's going to be announced relatively soon. So it's probably fine, but uh, we're going to be uh, bringing cockatrice back in a big way. Um, we want to start doing some more uh, cockatrice type events. So be on the lookout for that. If you enjoy playing CD, wow, you really, really spoiled the, that announcement. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going to be pushing that pretty hard. So if you're looking to play over cockatrice, certainly uh, join the r slash competitive EDH server because uh, more of that is coming more sort of like structured type events um, for that. And uh, it should be fun. You should join that server anyhow, because especially if you don't have like an LGS or a local meta that plays CEDH, uh, these online discord servers are great places to get uh, games in. And, you know, I'm a little biased because, you know, I like Pongo and them and all three of us are like do stuff on that server to some extent. So, <laughs> yeah, the place is, you know, really bustling right now. So it's a, it's a good time to come on by, man, just if you're interested in conversation and, you know, games. Bringing back cockatrice is just it, it's always that the calculus for me of uh, do I dislike playing on cockatrice more or do I dislike cutting out proxies more? And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for me, you know, it's a lot always of people, uh, Yeah, a lot of people don't have proxies at all right um there's still a lot of people who are very interested in cockatrice it's still very popular and uh you know i think with the pandemic and everything there we we did a lot to push webcam and that's like was somewhat to the detriment of cockatrice but uh again we we feel that like cockatrice is like such a major part of like the dna of this format um and the dna of the uh the r slash competitive edh server that you know, we, we certainly want to do what we can to support it. So there's going to be more of that. Awesome. Well, be on the lookout for that and go join that server. Uh, it's a good place. Good people run it and good people are there. So you should go check it out. Um, if you want to follow the Sculpty Boys and keep up with what we're doing, uh, you can go to our Twitter, which is at Sculpty Boys, B-O-I-S. Or you can just check out the direct link in our link tree in the description below. That's where you can find all of our Twitters, all of our mox fields. Uh, we're all down there in that link tree. So if you want to see what we're up to, see you know what decks we're working on, that's a great place to go look. I uh, want to also give an extra thanks to and a special shout out to a few of our patrons, uh, our highest tier patrons, Justin, David Snavely, Dionichis, James Haley, Holly. Uh, I always mess that up. Sorry. Uh, Matt Benner and uh, Senior Coupon. <laughs> this is probably my favorite name of all of the, the uh, things that I've seen. 
If you too would like to become a patron, you can head on over to patreon.com slash the mind sculptors, or you can check out the link in the description as well. Thank you again for joining us this weekend from all of us here at the mind sculptors. I'm Callahan and we'll see you next time. I'm in line with the stars. I'm in sync with the earth. Ten toes deep flower child from the turf. I never switch sides. Like even when I die, I'm a ride for the squad. Let up ties in the hearse. I've been on a vibe kind of hard to describe. I'm in between. I'm good and it's fine, but I'm tired of the grind. Then I come alive in the night to realize I'm in the middle of the time of my life. I never so packed for the stack. Never lied on the back. Got a bag from the way that I write it. Queen looking Tyson. Do that ass survive doing 80 to the house. Then I hit it to the sky. Change haters on a tirade. Talking to the crib and the face. Be still like that hate stuff fade. We all with the same. We all want a meal in the safe. I want to live like I'm trying to enlighten. Trail spill from my lips. Feel big from the dip. Take a sip till I pass out. Try and get grit, but it don't make sense. Cause you can lose life on this fast route. Yeah, turn thoughts to a cash cow. I might flip that to the glass house. I don't need the accolades, I'm in love with the chase. I just wanna eat, save a spot at the table. Beast with the slap, pin myself on the map. You long with the wind, but we knowing that it's cap. Five hour flights, couple nights at the flat. To be real, could you see me making moves while I'm at? I'm still on the grind, every time when I chat. I'm burning down sage, keep the demons away. When I ready, give a piece of myself to the